And I am Sebastian. Uh, how are you doing today, Sebastian? Oh, it is a glorious day for me. A glorious As, uh, day. A glorious yes. Day. That's, that's yes. A... Okay. All right. Uh, no, so, I like that one. As as you know, uh, I don't deal well with the summer heat. And yesterday it was hot and humid, like Satan's armpit. And uh, mm-hmm. today a Famously. cold front moved through. And it is the exact weather that you would expect the day after Halloween. So if you're not Ooh. in... If you're not in Eastern Ontario, or if you're in the future and you're listening to an old podcast, it uh, it went from 33 degrees down to 12. Sorry, I just pulled a shocked expression out of the <laughs> for a hot minute. This is, this so is I've opened cold. all the windows um, and I'm blowing yeah. a fan around, trying to like store as much cold air in the Absolutely. apartment as I can it's before the warm very, air comes uh, back. Yeah, the air has been rather pregnant recently. You know what's yeah. bothering me is uh, this this promised storm. You know, there will be a storm. And I was like, oh, yeah. that'd be great. That'll get the yeah. moisture out of the air. That'll, you know, it's good for the, the plants. The trees. And, you know, the trees, that kind of thing. But they were like, it'll be here on Friday. And then maybe yeah. Saturday, maybe Sunday. Could be here mm-hmm. Monday. It mm-hmm. might even mm-hmm. now be Tuesday. Um, so, yeah, I am sweltering here. It is uh, It is not quite broken in uh, in Toronto. Mm, it's also good for freshwater reservoirs. And if you're on the Great Lakes, that's kind of a non-issue because mm-hmm. you have the world's largest freshwater reservoir right there. But, I mean, you know, if you're a little bit further out, if you're in northern Ontario, if you're, if you're in Quebec, uh, well, actually, Quebec has like a quarter of Canada's water. And Canada has a third of the world's water, so Quebec it's a wet a province. There's a lot of water, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's not much of a concern, but you know, if you build your whole infrastructure around a specific reservoir, then you kind of want it to rain. But absolutely, we're well, not here to talk yeah, about urban we are, engineering. We're an LGBT radio show. <laughs> We've started off talking about reservoirs. I mean, that's like where we're at. Now, speaking of Quebec, uh, and, oh yes, uh, you know, being a, a wet province, they have had what can only be described as a bit of a debacle um, a whoopsie yeah uh, well i don't i think whoopsie <laughs> is uh underselling it so uh this uh past sunday would have been mm-hmm. the culmination of pride montreal um, mm-hmm. now the big pride toronto montreal vancouver New York, those kind of ones. They yep. are a huge tourist draw. People kind of go oh, yes. from all over the country. A lot of mm-hmm. people, I know a lot of people went up to Montreal for uh, this week's Prime Festival. I think Ottawa's is at the end of August. Yeah, it, it's in a week or so, yeah. Yeah, still got a week or two uh, away yet. Um, but yeah, so they, everyone had gone to Pride Montreal expecting this, you know, all of the various frivolities to to occur in 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 French um, mm-hmm. and uh, only to discover I think it was about two hours prior to the uh, the parade happening uh, Pride Montreal announced that they had cancelled the parade at the very morning of the parade happening oh I found out about it 20 minutes after the announcement 
because as you know, I have uh, I have many gay friends named Nicholas, and one of my many of, gay yeah, yeah yeah yes yes, um, and one of my many gay friends named Nicholas lives on St. Catherine Street in Montreal, and he got woken up by somebody walking down the street with a bullhorn, basically saying to the volunteers, the few volunteers that were left to come back in, that the parade was canceled. And he texted me right away. So I found out about it even before the news broke, which kind of felt, you know, kind of felt special, you know, to, to get that breaking news. But then, of course, there was no information for another four hours until the news broke. So eh, yeah. all for naught. Um, but, yeah, there, there was a concern about that, that uh, the the reason why it was canceled was because in the end, they didn't have enough security volunteers and they refused to have the police do security. For the parade. Well, it's um, there's a couple of different things. So first, let's note that about they were they were expecting tens of thousands uh, along the parade route, uh, which is yes. not uh, Rue Saint-Antoine, but it's a bit a uh, bit sort of further up. Uh, sorry, further okay. down more. It was a road uh, more in old Montreal. Um, but yeah, like they have, Sherbrooke. Yeah, yeah, around that the area. There's okay, a lot okay. of people, uh, you know, getting ready. In fact, I hear that the city of Montreal's official float uh, mm-hmm. would actually. Uh, sorry, the, the city of Montreal's official float uh, was actually uh, they just parked up in a nearby park. And uh, just turned the music on. <laughs> so many people uh, uh-huh. were so annoyed and and, yeah. and sort of angsty and in the heat because of course Montreal, uh, despite as we described being a wet province, uh, had not actually mm-hmm. uh, you know didn't have a huge amount of uh, uh, of uh, cover there. But yeah, they, uh, the Prime Montreal one. So tens of thousands of people line up waiting for this parade. Um, mm-hmm. And then Pride Montreal announces on its Twitter that in consultation with Montreal Police, uh, they do not have sufficient security to make mm-hmm. the parade safe. Yes. Uh, it's worth noting that quite promptly, Montreal Police tweeted out saying, this isn't us. <laughs> this is not, not me, not me. I am not to blame for yep, uh, yep, yep. Montreal uh, Pride being cancelled at the 11th hour. Um, and like then, 10 minutes after that, the mayor, Valérie Plante, uh, also tweeted out basically saying, if we had known about this, we would have done something about this. Like, even yeah. on Saturday, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they could have done something. They're saying like, this is so last minute. It's... They, yeah. they, the mayor was a little bit disappointed. Well, yeah, the mayor was uh, among the last to know. I think the, the mayor was getting ready on their float, you know, uh, you know, yeah. pumping up the balloons, tying them to the. I don't know if the mayor was pumping balloons and tying them to the infrastructure, but you get the impression that the mayor was, you know, lining up ready to go. Uh, on a float, a be, balloon could be load bearing. So yeah, it could be a load bearing balloon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're off topic, but yeah, yeah. the uh, the Montreal police announced. Look, you know, not only did we not know. Um, yeah. We were not part of that decision to cancel mm-hmm. the, the Pride Parade um, mm-hmm. in Montreal. But also, had they known that security was an issue, yeah. uh, they would have stepped up. Because, of course, yep. the Montreal police uh, have responsibility to keep everybody safe. Um, yep. And also have... You know, they, they. You know, it may have been a bit of a challenge, but they do have resources that they could have mobilized to make that uh, make that space safe. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yesterday or today, sort of in the last day or two, the executive director of Montreal Pride has revealed just a, a bit more information, and apparently, uh, it was it was just a, a, a massive mess up. 
uh, is the politest way of maybe phrasing this. They mm -hmm. had forgotten to hire about a hundred security. So uh -huh. j just just slipped. You know, it's you know those things that are on your to-do list. Yeah. And then you're like, I gotta get around to that. And next thing you know, it's tax season and you haven't you haven't prepared your filings. Um, you know, it was very much I got that impression from the statement mm. by the executive director of uh, Montreal yeah. Pride. This might be related to something we've complained about in the past, which is that for every single parade that you can ever imagine in North America, and I, I think the the Santa Claus parade in cities that have a Santa Claus parade is the opposite of this. They're very, very good at this. That pride parades define what it means to be a marshal differently. In pride parades, the marshal is like the guest of honor who sits in a car and waves. Whereas in every other parade, the marshal is like security people who yeah, walk they're along. Marshalling. They're marshalling. Yeah, they're marshalling the parade. Yeah, exactly. And they just do little things to make sure that you know the crowd doesn't spill under the road too much, or you know they make sure that floats can turn a corner. You know they'll they'll, they'll knock on a window and say you got to get to the left going to make that right hand turn and swing wide like they that's that's what they do uh and a lot of pride parades unfortunately have a bad habit of being a little bit light-handed on marshals now i remember a couple years ago ottawa pride uh discovered that they had this problem uh when a, a float couldn't turn a corner because the the crowd had come in too tight mm. and they didn't have enough volunteers to push them back i don't know if you remember that and and then the next year they're like no we're taking marshalling seriously in the way that everybody else takes marshalling seriously. Well, and it wonder, takes a lot of people. I wonder if in the sort of post-pandemic world, you know, all of these pride organizations were, you know, their, their parade was just a montage on YouTube. You know, it's just, yes. a, you know, the, the, the sort of digital parades were uh, a lot less marshalling involved, I think, uh, yeah. on those ones. But Do you think we it was saw, just like a lack of transfer of knowledge? I think it, so. I think so. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dive into that in a moment. But we yeah. saw in Toronto that there were parts of the parade where there was so little... Uh, crowd controlling infrastructure that the crowds mm -hmm. began to merge into the street and yeah. it was sort of hard to tell where the crowd begins the parade begins and, and then you know the, the next crowd begins it sort of mushed yeah. into one and then uh, we were hearing reports about people that, being that's unsafe for everyone that's unsafe yeah, for the marching people it's unsafe yeah. for the crowds it's yeah yeah i will yeah. say this my favorite comment that i got from nicholas is uh after the parade got cancelled he basically said oh my god downtown montreal is crawling with politicians with nothing to do and nowhere to go. <laughs> and then his next text was, oh, gross, I'm stuck in line at Starbucks behind Jadmeet Singh's security. Just the whole security team is just All waiting for All of them were the... together getting coffee, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> pretty funny. It was such a weird thing to say. But yeah, well, it, it's, um, it was a weird oversight, and uh, a lot of people are asking some questions about it. So, according to the executive director of Montreal Pride, they had uh, hired enough security for all their various events, uh, yeah. but they hadn't necessarily uh, assigned people correctly to the parade route and then discovered, you know, shock and horror, okay. that they were off by about 100 rolls. Mm -hmm. Now, they added up all the numbers, you know, Sunday morning or late Saturday and discovered okay. they were off by about 100. And what he noted was like, look, you know, they pulled, could have pulled in volunteers from the street and, and you yeah. know, I'm sure if there had been a rallying cry, many people would have signed up. But mm -hmm. 
marshalling a uh, you know a, a, a parade route does involve at least some basic training and not even a that, lot yeah just like an some, hour some well yeah, the problem yeah. was is that they only had about two hours between realizing the mistake yeah. and the start of the parade yeah. and that was just frankly not enough time no. to train <laughs> all of the volunteers to kind of make it happen I do mm -hmm. wonder why scenarios such as delaying the start of the parade was not chosen. I do mm -hmm. wonder why uh, reaching out to the Montreal police uh, to sort of augment the security that was already in place was not chosen, you know, mm -hmm. or maybe shortening the parade route or, I don't know. Like, what, you know, why was the cancelling with two hours to go the best option? That mm -hmm. detail still seems to be... Uh, a little bit missing. Now, mm. what we know is that Montreal Pride is launching a bit of an internal security probe, which I think is very ambitious language for essentially finding out who forgot to hire security. Um, yes. To figure out literally the answer to that question, like who was who was responsible? Yeah. Well, the the chair, uh, I can't remember the chair's name, I'm trying to look it up, um, did say that ultimately, not the chair, the executive director, said that in the end, the, the buck stops there and that it was ultimately the ED's job to check in on that sort of thing. Because you're supposed to sign off before something goes ahead. Um, so, I mean, at least there is that, that top-down responsibility. Generally speaking, in a healthy organization, um, praise sinks and responsibility floats. Mm -hmm. So, as opposed to unhealthy organizations where they tend to blame the lowest-ranking person and praise the highest-ranking person even though they never got their hands dirty so this is at least the sign of a healthy organization even though they messed up like the fact that the ed stepped forward and said you know ultimately it was my job to sign off on this i take responsibility i actually have a lot of respect for that yeah it was uh simon gamash that i think was right uh, yes uh, was the executive director's name i mean but this is this is serious uh, i yeah. believe the city of montreal provided about six hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars uh in funding um, the uh, the province of Quebec gave over a million dollars in funding. Um, mm -hmm. I believe the parade itself uh, had Air Canada uh, listed okay. as a as a sponsor. Now the ir irony of an Air Canada sponsored parade being cancelled is just I mean it's too rich not to mention the the humorous well, I mean, I, irony. If it there. were Air Canada, I think it would be more appropriate for it to be delayed for two hours and then cancelled. So. <laughs> <laughs> And if anyone took any bags, they may need to go to Laval and see if they're located there. Um, but no, that's, uh, you know, it, it had a huge impact. But what was interesting yeah. is once the genie was out of the bottle and Montreal mm -hmm. Pride had said, we have to cancel when the mayor of Montreal was trying to find out what was going on. The, the police were tweeting, being like, it's not us. And, and mm -hmm. the community is like, this is insane. You know, yeah. th this is madness. We would have stepped up and... and and intervened yep. and supported, um, you know, at that point, any sort of sense of direction to be able to change the plans and maybe start it a little later, that mm. that was gone. That was the cat mm -hmm. was out of the bag. People had mm -hmm. dispersed all over the place. Mm -hmm. Every parquette in downtown Montreal uh, was decked out in rainbow flags as people. And there are a lot in. of parquettes in downtown Montreal. Like Montreal is the city of gardens. It Absolutely, is covered yeah. in parks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's lousy and, with them. 
everything that I've seen so far, because I've seen on some multiple so to, uh, social media uh, streams, is that a ton of people just marched anyway. Uh, some of them marched the whole route, but some of them just like marched along what they knew to be the route until they were like, oh, there's a bar with seating. Uh, <laughs> and fair enough. I mean, it, it's it's not like there's a finish line anymore. Uh, but it, it is kind of interesting to see that the spirit of the march was still observed and that there were still quite a few people who did. I mean, obviously, the floats didn't go. Um, huge chunks of Montreal are being converted into best uh, pedestrian-only spaces, even if only just for the weekend, because like cars don't go down St. Catherine Street on the weekends anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a pedestrian-only space. Um, I think it's just Saturday and Sunday where that's true, and holidays. Uh, but yeah, so it, it was not a problem at all. There was no special anything needed just to have a whole bunch of people walking down a pedestrian street all at once anyway. Um but yeah, the the it's also worth noting actually, and this is probably the most important thing. All other events did happen as planned. It was just the parade. I mean, I was I was bemused to see some uh, an interview with the organizer of the Trans March in Montreal, essentially mm-hmm. going like, "We were the only march, <laughs> like, <laughs> like scheduled on the books march that happened. Uh, uh-huh. The Trans March was the only march in 2022 in Montreal. Really? Um, yeah, I don't know what happened to the Dyke March or if maybe uh, Montreal did. I was going to ask. Year. Yeah, but yeah, no, I just thought that was highly um, amusing that they were them. They had their uh, uh, their collective, uh, you know, stuff together to be able to make that one happen. But yeah, I st- I still think bored, listless politicians with nothing to do milling about is a little bit more funny. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's 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 <laughs> the the Montreal Pride uh, experience. But what I wanted to double back on is kind of deviation from the core mission here, and. Mm. We've talked a lot about how we're, we're big, big fans of small town prides, community prides, pride yes. where you live and work really is where yes. uh, where we're focusing. Yeah. And these big, big city prides, they have been accused of commercialization, of gentrifying, mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. sort of reflecting the needs of big corporate donors instead of the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. And the fact that all of their large signature events mm-hmm. happened with the exception of the actual march yeah i think is going to raise some really thorny questions for montreal pride of have they yeah. have they moved so far away from a pride march that they no longer <laughs> they fail to fundamentally march this time and it's kind of unfortunate as well because quebec doesn't really have that many pride events there is montreal there's quebec city I believe Gatineau uh, I, has one as well. I think Gatineau has one. And I think there's one that they're doing in either Temiscamay or Val d'Or, but like out in the West. I think Trois-Rivières as well. There's really not that many. The The small town pride phenomenon hasn't really hit Quebec as much, but you have to bear in mind that a small town in Quebec is not 40,000 people. It's usually like 800 people. It's a very different beast when you're talking about small town Quebec. So... If you're going to do something, it'll be like a local center, like that took or something like that. Um, which, by the way, has a really good team. Um, so I could see, you know, there's probably a lot of people who traveled across the province for one of the few French language prides in Canada. Uh, although, I think actually there's a small town pride in Hearst, and that's French. So, I mean, I don't know, but like it, it's a short list, you know, and. Mm. and one of the few ones out there was canceled, so I could see a lot of uh, a lot of people from out of town being quite bummed out as well. 
Well, I think there was also quite a degree of anger. You know, yeah. you mentioned about the folks who marched anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it was like, this is the one time a year where our, mm-hmm. our footsteps mean something very significant. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, you know, that there is still hate crimes. StatsCan released information saying that hate crimes were up again this year mm-hmm. above and beyond last year. You know, the LGBT community has gone not as badly... Uh, scathed as particularly religious minorities and and black folks and and, and Asian folks. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, hate crimes against LGBT folks have been on the rise, you Mm -hmm. know, and there are are serious concerns about that. So there are many reasons still to march and to have that opportunity robbed by a complete lack of planning. You know, Mm -hmm. the the fact that you fail to remember to hire basic security, um, you know, that is incredibly frustrating. And I think some of those people expressed that frustration uh, in in an active yeah. walk, they did thankfully walk down, I believe, Rue Cantrin, which was pedestrianized. So there yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, a relief. And that's the other thing that boggles my mind: why didn't they just move it to a pedestrian pedestrianized street? Why didn't they just move it up a little bit and and, uh, and make it? Saint Catherine's not that that wide in a lot of its parts. Hmm. So I mean, it depends on where you are. Uh, Sherbrooke is a little bit wider. I- I'm starting to learn Montreal now that I'm looking to move there soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it I think it just has to do with the the, the uh, bandwidth. That's not the right thing. The the throughput capacity of a given mm. street. Um, they are uh, they're answering some difficult questions to the municipality of uh, Montreal. Uh, I believe today, mm. at time of recording, we haven't quite seen reporting out as to how uh, how that went. Uh, but mm-hmm. we do know that the executive director of Montreal Pride has essentially said, look, buck stops with me. However, mm-hmm. uh, he was brought on specifically to do some big strategic rethinking for Montreal Pride mm-hmm. and had only been hired, I believe, in December. So mm-hmm. uh, very early in, uh, in, in their tenure to be able to kind of make a judgment. You know, I kind of feel for it when you step into a role and Pride Montreal is a beast of an organization it is oh, a yeah. very large financial uh you know large large sized organization um mm-hmm. the fact that something like this fell off the the list i think that speaks to that transfer of knowledge that you mentioned earlier as well sebastian Absolutely, people yeah. forget that many of the board roles and many of the the staffing roles uh are typically volunteer. I think the big organizations, Toronto, Montreal, and, and Vancouver, there are more paid staff than than uh, elsewhere. But yeah. uh, there is a lot of volunteer capacity that runs these things, and people leave. They they you know the last uh, Pride Parade was 2019, and, and we're now 2022. So mm-hmm. there may have been a, a loss of institutional knowledge there. And I've seen. Uh, transfer documents as well. Uh, I've, I've been in organizations that had these, like previous people in a given role, just writing a little document, just like you know, this is what the role is defined as. Here's a little checklist of things you have to do. Here's some hints and tips. Here are the the people you need to speak to. You know, some contacts. Um, there's a lot of things if you're talking about a parade, you need to contact the fire department mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that you need to know the overhead clearance so that you can tell the floats what the maximum height is and what to do if they go over that, you know, can you do last minute alterations or do you have to forcibly change it? That could do structural things. So a whole list of policies, but I've also seen organizations that take that and they say, well, I don't like how they did it anyway. They just bin it. So you can, you can have 
very professional people who just say, I personally did not like that previous person and then just throw out all that knowledge. It's, it's a, a very frequent problem in the sort of volunteer not-for-profit space. It can, it can happen. It's kind of tragic, but it does happen. Well, uh, Laura Quebec has said that they're sticking with Pride Montreal. Um, hopefully, uh, Air Canada will will take this on the chin or on the nose, um, uh-huh. and uh, will be back uh, next year as a, as a major sponsor. I believe both the province and the municipality have said that uh, you know this uh, this mess up is not going to cost them their uh, ongoing support. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it seems like Pride Montreal the the sort of early wins are that Pride Montreal will probably survive this in terms of its major sponsors and and, Mm -hmm. uh, government partners. Um, But, you know, I I don't know really how that... They're going to have to do a lot of work to earn back some of that frustration and and loss of trust that uh, the folks in Quebec uh, have had for for this particular mess Mm -hmm. up. You know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not great. All oh, right. the whole eastern seaboard. I'm sure people from uh, the East Coast have gone in as well. Like, it's it's a big event. It's a big event. That's just how it is. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be playing uh, The Awakening by Sinzer. This is, uh, as you've been dubbed, one of the uh, rising black artists uh, out of uh, Canada. This is based out of Calgary. Uh, this is The Awakening, and we will be back just after this. Too short. The world we're living in is too far gone. Protect your energy. Protect your energy. Don't care about what these guys are. I done made it death from under they spells. Couldn't hold me, mama. Prayer is real. No more false narratives. The stories they tell. Perpetrate is funny, stylic for real. They perpetrating snakes, slither around. Snake was a man with evil ways, ego drowning him. God cursed him to the ground and on his belly profound. That's why I do not fear no man, the Holy Spirit hold me down. You can't trick me, yo, my greatness, my ancestors is proud. Yahweh steer me, couldn't get near me, know who wearing the crown. Life's the greatest teacher, what is Harvard or Yale? Had to fail my way to success, knew I'd always prevail. To the poor who've been afflicted by the heathen, all these demons. God gon' bless you, you gon' prosper, but you gotta keep believing. Everybody has a season, you are blessed if you're still breathing. Set some goals and go achieve them, this here vessel made for healing. Praying that tomorrow comes. Get off your Jamaican lady in her 80s lost in country on a journey into town to sell banana tripped and fell down on a rock couldn't walk there on her back line as a bat lost in a trap closed her eyes could this be real deep in the dark where angels dwell like a baby out the womb he gave her life she saw a light she felt at peace her mind at ease in a deep sleep 
Blessed and highly favored, gave her vision she could see. Seen a man, his skin was brass with hair like, whoa, I think it's Jesus. He said, Miss Fire, it's not your time. Please stop the weeping. She said, I'm tired, you know I'm tired, my God, don't leave me. I've been grieving, got a grievance, granny reasoning with Jesus. She awoke, it was no dream or fall from grace, had a deeper meaning. Careful with the bloodline, we anointed by the Spirit. Granny planted seeds of faith in the garden, we've been fortunate. What if she had that abortion? I wouldn't let her tell the story, that's why God gave all the glory. Praying that tomorrow comes. to show The world we live in is too far gone Protect your energy Don't care about what these things
Hello and welcome back to Canqueer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am joined by uh, I'm joined by Sebastian when he uh, when he hops on the call here. Uh, it should be Hi. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, sorry about that Sebastian. I think uh, you had uh, you had kind of just thought we were we were playing the other one, but yeah, that's uh, that was uh, real love. The clean version followed by, uh, by Mint Simon. Uh, yeah, that were followed on from the Awakening by Sinzer. Uh, Mint Simon's debut project after leaving uh, Cave Boy, where they were the front uh, front person for Cave Boy. I think we've played some Cave Boy before. Um, so yeah, this was uh, a great. Uh, a uh, great new debut debut track from uh, Mint Simon. And as I mentioned earlier, we started off a little music stinger with uh, The Awakening by Sinzer. Now, one of the things that's happened in the last week, and, and I'm trying not to, you know, spend too much of our time uh, discussing monkeypox. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I mean, it's, it's such a significant story in the GLBT community, specifically men that are having sex with men, uh, mm -hmm. that to not cover it would be a disservice to our audience. Mm -hmm. What has surprised me is that Canada seems to have been a little bit quiet since the last time we talked about it. I think July 27th, there was a, uh, a big press statement from the federal government um, about how they're responding to it. In that time, since July 27th, the city of New York and the city of San Francisco declared public health emergencies as mm -hmm. their GLBT communities uh, were being, you know, very much uh, uh, impacted by uh, the rising rates of um, monkeypox in those cities. And that was followed by several states, including the state of New York, mm -hmm. um, I believe also the state of, I want to say Illinois also declared, um, I just had it written down here a second ago. Let me see which ones I, which ones I missed. I believe it's the state of Illinois. Um, and then I forget which other ones, but there were a few of them that all declared variously um, different states of emergency regarding. Also Spain. Oh yeah, Spain is. I think they're at. Uh, I think the U.S. has about six thousand cases, and the Spain I think has about forty-five hundred or four thousand, yeah. or between four thousand and four thousand forty-five hundred. It's worth mentioning that at uh, time of recording and time of broadcast right now, I believe there's about nine hundred and sixty-ish uh, reported cases in Canada, with yeah. Ontario pulling ahead uh, with the the most infections. It's worth noting Ontario also has the largest population. Um, mm -hmm. And most people who are having sex with other men uh, live in Ontario uh, compared to the rest of uh, Canada. Yeah, it, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. Uh, we talk about those three cities an awful lot for a reason. That's, those are the, the major centers for sure. Every so often Calgary pops up, and it's good to see them. You know, Hello, Calgary, if you're listening. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah, it was California. It's... That was the one I was missing. It was bugging me. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't remembered California. Uh, but essentially, uh, Joe Biden uh, has declared a public health emergency in the United States regarding uh, monkeypox. And what mm -hmm. this has done is specifically sort of opened up uh, a range of financial tools and the ability to kind of uh, speed up some development and so on and so forth, uh, you know, regarding the response to monkeypox. 
Um, have you been, you must have been hearing about some of this, uh, you know, growing. Oh, yes. I, I've heard some pretty disturbing stories as well. Some um, in the hopes to avoid stigmatization, there are uh, medical professionals who thankfully are not representing the state who are making some very dubious uh, uh, advice. They're saying uh, if you're going to go to one of the various street parties in San Francisco, uh, just cover your open sores with band-aids and wear a cloth mask and you'll be fine. And uh, you have people coming out saying it is absolutely not a sexually transmitted disease. And the more I think about it, the more it's like like mononucleosis, also known as mono, also known as the kissing disease. Strictly speaking, not a sexually transmitted disease. You can get that from an improperly washed fork. But it's one of those things where, like, people know that it is often transmitted through kissing. Um, just like you can have outbreaks of athlete's foot or ringworm at gay men's gyms. And it has nothing to do with gay sex. It has to do with someone's not bleaching the shower floor properly. Uh, there are certain environments that just harbor certain diseases. So to say that monkeypox is a sexually transmitted disease is just as dishonest as saying that it's not at all. Uh, just like mono, just like the, the flu, like when flu season comes around, going around kissing a lot of boys, I'm sure you're going to get it a little bit more quickly. It's just this is a different beast. And I think, like, I understand that a lot of these organizations are trying to avoid stigmatization, but I'm, I'm just seeing weird announcements. City of San Francisco particularly has done some weird announcements. City of New York has done some peculiar announcements where they're basically just saying, change nothing about your daily life go about your business and i think that's just as unsafe and unhealthy as saying well i mean it's not just it's a different kind of unsafe and unhealthy but saying it's just a gay disease i think is equally bad but in mm -hmm. a different way because you're basically saying like whatever you're doing you're not going to get it and i think i don't think that's honest and i don't think that's helping anyone well, I mean, it's worth noting that there was a study that came out in, uh, I think it was like the British Journal, Journal of Dermatology or something. It was one of the one of the big ones. And they yeah. looked at uh, 500 cases of monkeypox, sort of some of the initial batch yeah. of monkeypox. And what they found is that when you compare the European and North American monkeypox, which is broadly being you know, understood to be very much a new strain of monkeypox. You mm -hmm. compare it to the, the, you know, the, I say the traditional, the, the previously Af known African version from yeah. the 1950s. What they're finding is what this monkeypox that's spreading like a wildfire has mm -hmm. that's different is uh, sometimes you can't even see the symptoms. They could be mm -hmm. one lesion instead of a large spattering of them. There could yeah. be other symptoms prior to lesions. So a mm. lot of the a lot of the goalposts that were and how folks understood monkeypox, mm -hmm. i.e., you know, the, the original version, yeah. uh, doesn't add up to where this new version is at. They're finding that it's spreading much more quickly. The symptoms yep. are less visibly apparent, uh, a point of infection. And what they're, in, what they're kind of coming across now is a bit of a debate about how monkeypox, the sort of OG version in Africa, is yep. not a sexually transmitted disease. No. But this yep. one very much is transmitting through sexual networks. Like that is undeniable yep. that that's a mode by which it's, but it it did not and has not transmitted yep. that way 
uh, in Africa. So they're, they're sort yeah. of leaning towards calling a spade a spade here and saying, look, it is very transmissible. This is the network by which it's transmitting. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't negate, you know, shaking hands with somebody with lesions. That doesn't negate yes. all the other methods by which it, oh, yeah. uh, it, it can spread. But we, Just like mono. Yeah. yeah. We're sort of landing on a bit more of a consensus now that that maybe it is more of a sexually transmitted disease than it is not. Yes. Well, or it's a disease that's not a sexually transmitted. Well, I mean, what makes a sexually transmitted disease really? I mean, there's not many diseases that only transmit sexually. A lot of them also go through saliva, through blood, through physical contact, through air droplets. Like most sexually transmitted diseases have at least one other vector. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also kind of interesting. I, I saw something recently that said that the the currently it's about ninety eight percent of the global cases are men for the new monkeypox, but in West Africa it's sixty percent men, forty percent women. And they say the only reason why there's more men who are infected with it than women is because a lot of those regions still have sort of traditional male dominated workplaces, and just men are getting out of the house a little bit more and shaking mm -hmm. more hands. And they said that you can completely and totally explain the difference through social factors. Yeah. So, so in Africa, think, it reflects the general population. Yeah. Unlike in North American Europe, it seems to reflect specific communities. Yes. Which is, I mean, yeah, epidemiology and its relationship to culture and social structures is actually really interesting. Not that I, I want this to go on so we can gather more interesting <laughs> data. I mean, I would like every disease on Earth to disappear. Uh, except for the disease that like makes your face turn blue when you're a big stinking liar, but that hasn't been invented yet. Um, we're, we're we're wandering a little bit off topic, but the <laughs> the decision by this by the uh, by the, the the Biden administration to declare a health emergency has, you know, they have that comes with certain other decisions like they're even considering changing how they administer the doses of the vaccine. Oh. Uh, so right now, the way that they're, I believe that the vaccine that we're using is, is a different uh, company from the one that the Americans have, have opted for. But the way that they're uh, administering it, they get one dose per vaccine vial. And the okay. CDC is exploring uh, how to go about changing the, the administration method so they can get four or five doses out of every vaccine vial. Uh, they've also secured, I believe, about a million million doses. Uh, Australia secured about four hundred and fifty thousand doses of uh, of the vaccine in the last week or two. Um, hmm. But the reason why I'm bringing up the USA and Australia is because Europe, as a country, has been able to secure hardly any. I think, Did you just say Europe? As sorry, a as a continent, Europe as a, continent, <laughs> uh, as a European. I felt that um, Europe as a. You know, I'm clearly pro EU. I mean, we're just one big happy family. Um, anyway, but uh, Europe as a continent, you know, mm -hmm. the United Kingdom has secured only about a hundred thousand. I think France has secured about two hundred thousand, um, mm. and uh, you know, the Europe as a whole has only secured about. I think it's about a hundred thousand as well. So mm. with the vaccines. Really, the supply being, you know, really astronomical, um, it begs the question why Canada has not declared monkeypox a public health emergency. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the numbers. Uh, I know that the Canadian government has a habit of operationalizing things, so it could be just that the the curve doesn't fit 
the geometry of what they consider to be an emergency, and therefore uh, it hasn't hit that threshold yet. Well, uh, public health... It's one of those, like, fair enough, but, you know, if there's a problem, there's a problem. Maybe the definition is in needing of updating, but, yeah. Well, Public Health Canada has said, look, we've been on this since May. We we yeah. saw it, we were like, boom, on it. And uh, Public Health Canada has also zeroed in on the men having sex with men community. Uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, or we mentioned last week or the week before, the federal government pouring some money into... Uh, organizations in Montreal, Toronto, uh, Vancouver, and, and I believe even Ottawa um, around communicating directly with men having sex with men in those communities. Uh, also, if anyone's been on Grindr or, or Jacked or all the other various apps, they have been peppered with uh, push notifications and pop-ups uh, spotlighting vaccination clinics uh, in your area. I've also, I mean, I had a look and I was like, oh, you know, maybe what's what's the vaccination clinics looking like? And this is what surprised me. Although all of these areas have these vaccination clinics, uh, in Ottawa, it's by appointment only. <laughs> so you'd have to prearrange, make sure you've got the you know, time off work to go and get the appointment to go there and, and, and have the vaccine. Uh, mm-hmm. Ottawa, Toronto has a bit more availability, but I think it's at one of the clinics between this hour and this hour only on a, I believe, a Wednesday, um, oh you know, and it's, so it's like, okay, there is a vaccine rollout. It is definitely reaching these communities. This community is is definitely aware of it, mm-hmm. um, but it's still not as available as, you know, you would think. If I want a COVID vaccine, like, I think I need my fourth, uh, fourth booster at this point. If I want that, it, it is significantly easier for me to get it because they're, they're readily available all over the city. Um, at various clinics, but there is one or two places in the whole of Toronto, uh, only on certain days, mm. um, and elsewhere in Canada, you have to make appointments in advance. Um, it's just not as easily accessible as maybe it could be. Yeah. That being said, uh, in the last couple of days, according to the data released by, although the weekend data is not quite in yet, including Montreal Pride, uh, but the last couple of days, the rate of increase is now only about 20-ish a day, which is a decline from the very sharp upwards trajectory uh, that we had been seeing uh, a little earlier. So Mm -hmm. there is a sense that maybe in that community in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, and Ottawa, the the vaccination rates are starting to have a little bit of an impact. There is about a two week delay on on the vaccines having um, sort of a preventative preventative uh, effectiveness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we certainly seem to be looking in the right direction uh, for that. So maybe the argument is that Canada is was on it big enough and early enough uh, that uh, that we don't need an, an emergency. Uh, I would make the argument that. Even if it's just making the vaccine more readily available uh, to get more of the population vaccinated more quickly, mm-hmm. uh, especially the most at-risk population, that would be that would be ideal. But uh, yeah, right now, as of today, there is no immediate plans from what we can see from Public Health Canada to declare monkeypox an emergency, unlike uh, Spain, the United States, and uh, I think several other places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Now we have been following the Lambeth conference. Oh yes, we're moving on yeah, to that. So now. yeah, that's uh, the Lambeth conference. Lambeth, con- my teeth are not in today. The Lambeth <laughs> conference. Uh, uh-huh. Say that five times fast. Is a gathering. It was about six hundred and fifty bishops from the Anglican churches all over mm-hmm. the world uh, gathering in Cambridge for their their various summit. And uh, in 2018, the Archbishop of Canterbury-Welby essentially said the LGBTQ question, the the sexuality orientation question, was so contentious that we probably shouldn't meet in 2018 uh, because there may well be a schism. We are that uh, undivided, we're that divided on it. Uh, So they cancelled it. Then the pandemic happened, and now finally they're meeting. And surprise, surprise, it is a incredibly divisive subject at this conference now what have you heard about how that went well the the early reports that i'm seeing is that they they've kind of they're trying to find a way to split the difference uh so in 95 98 uh my computer just froze so I'm, i'm having troubles reading the details uh in the 90s we'll say yes 98 um They basically just said uh, that the Anglican Church will stand by the assertion that homosexuality is a sin. But what they're going to also do is just not pursue anything if a church decides to marry its congregation. And what this does is it kind of gives plausible deniability all around. So if you are in a more traditional nation that has a, a Anglican Church where the community would turn its back against the church and basically kill the church uh, by abandoning it if they do allow uh, same-sex marriage. By declaring that they're going to stand by that, they give them the sort of out to say, you know, the Anglican church still stands by this. And in more progressive countries where if they do stand by this too much, people would abandon the church uh, because they're not actually going to punish or pursue any priests that do marry same-sex members of the congregation they have they also have the plausible deniability of just doing it anyway and knowing that nothing's going to come of it and they can just say you know we in our little saint joseph saint michael's saint peter's whatever your local you know one room wooden church we can say we allow it and again canterbury is not going to do anything about it so it's kind of splitting the difference it's kind of trying to make everybody into a winner uh it is a clever political play that i think Mm, some people might see i'm not as convinced so essentially the archbishop of canterbury said look in some countries like canada yeah uh, not evolving on this issue is so unthinkable the church the church attendance would collapse yeah, you know, yeah. The, the Canadians are, are collectively in favor of gay people as clergy, mm-hmm. uh, blessing same-sex partnerships. Uh, mm-hmm. But then in other places like Uganda, uh, one of the countries that boycotted uh, the, the, uh, the conference, uh, the idea of condoning it is so unthinkable mm-hmm. that that church would collapse. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. His pragmatic approach was, you do you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, mm, yeah, a bit of a cop-out, I think, more than anything. It, it is a bit of a cop-out, but I think it's, I think from his perspective, it, it's probably the only thing. Because basically what he's saying is, uh, 
yeah, you know, we're, we're still going to stand by the fact that homosexuality is a sin. But if you choose to ignore that, I'm not going to do anything about that. And if you choose to listen to that, I'm not going to do anything about that either. So, I mean, it does boil down to you do you. And everybody gets plausible deniability. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really peculiar. I think part of it also is uh, Canadian Anglicans are more likely to be uh, what's known as a red letter Christian. Have I have I brought that up on the show? I, think I haven't brought have, it up yeah, recently. Yeah, I, I could describe it again briefly. Uh, for centuries, uh, if there's a passage in the Bible that's believed to be from the mouth of Jesus, it's usually the Gospels. Um, it's printed in red ink. And so if you ever you have two parts of the Bible, one says turn it off the other cheek, the other says an eye for an eye, turn it off the other cheek is in red. You're a Christian, you're supposed to be following that stuff. So you're going to prioritize any contradictions you go with the red stuff. And if you look at the red stuff, there's nothing in there whatsoever about homosexuality. So they're like, you know, if we're going to focus on the New Testament, all the, the, the forbidden stuff is the Old Testament. New Testament says nothing. So a lot of red letter Christians are like, eh, whatever. You know, there's nothing in there. Nothing that, that we're focusing on anyway. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Canadian Anglicans, are, and I'm really boiling it down. Like the, the red letter Christianity thing is like, a, a, I could do a two hour podcast yeah. on it. It's a complicated topic and I'm really giving the boilerplate issue. But it is a little bit more common in Canada than it is in some of the other branches of the Church of England. Well, the, so, the Lambeth Conference has essentially said, and the Archbishop of Canterbury essentially said, look, your your uh, the teachings are evolving. I think is yes. the, how yes. how they've done it, and he's talking about how some churches have evolved their teaching on on these things, uh, yeah. whereas uh, some of the Anglican churches in uh, in the south, uh, in in sort of the, the global south, have mm. made the argument that that is biblical revisionism. Uh, as a po- so there really is a stark divide in yeah. how this is interpreted, um, but it seems like the Anglican Church uh, is a—it's uh, the Church of where you are, not the <laughs> not the Anglican Church anymore. It, uh, it it's uh-huh. been divorced. Now it's worth mentioning the Church of England is the first among equals, apparently, um, mm-hmm. and when they uh, lead, others generally follow, such as the the you know, introducing female priests. Um, mm-hmm. The Church of England does not support, uh, at this point, same-sex uh, partnerships uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in the Church, unlike the Church of Wales and the Church of Scotland that do. So the Church of England isn't even leading here. They're, they're lagging yeah. behind uh, some of the other churches. Uh, and the argument was made at this conference that if the Church of England, the first among equals, was mm-hmm. to start leading... Uh, then many of these other Anglican churches in countries where they vehemently disagree uh, may, you know, step out on their own and, and host, a, host a conference without the Church of England uh, mm-hmm. or even elsewhere. So maybe the schism can has been kicked down the road, um, <laughs> but the, the Anglican church seems to be the church of where you are as opposed uh-huh. to the church of any kind of united doctrine. Okay, okay, yeah. 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 I mean, that's stuff. what the Quakers are as well. I mean. <laughs> the Quakers are the church of where you are? Yeah, basically, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, it was interesting. Um, Sandy Toxer complained, a British TV personality, the host of QI, uh, complained directly in an open letter to um, the Archbishop about the impact, the message that this is conveying to particularly LGBT youth the world over. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of the bishops are quite annoyed that no one has picked up on the fact that the bishops collectively 
all against poverty. Um, you know, and, and no one's nobody's talking about their united position against poverty. Uh, okay. So that's uh, we just want to note that the bishops of the Anglican Church are against poverty. So that's uh, we've we've noted that. All right. I, what does that mean? Do they all stand in a circle and scowl at it? Are they going to do something? <laughs> are they just like united in their disapproval of the existence of it? Like I mean, all of the above. I think there may be some. It, scowl it, it, yeah. <laughs> but the argument I mean, is is that the 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 division in the church around sexual orientation has taken up a lot of the air in the room. And their argument was that none of the other topics at this conference were discussed. Oh, okay, that's um, fair, yeah. However, being against poverty is hardly groundbreaking for a church. So it's <laughs> like florals in spring. You know, this is not, uh, not a surprise. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on it. But uh, at this point, the church has essentially decided, you do you, whatever it is mm -hmm. that you're doing it. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. A bit disappointing to see a lack of leadership from the Church of England, but also unsurprising. We have, however, run out of time. We have. We are. We're going to be playing out with uh, Neon Soul by Eric Bolton. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening.